kind of circling back around, I want to welcome you guys here to North Bullet Christian Church. Uh, we are thankful that you've gathered with us this morning. My name is Keith. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, we are just so uh, excited to worship the Lord together this morning and to look to His Word. I want to invite you to turn to 2 Peter. Uh, we are in the second week of our series on 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're looking at verses 16, uh, and we're going to go into chapter 2 uh, to verse 3 this morning. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, this weekend on Friday, actually, we uh, celebrate and observe Veterans Day. And uh, so I want to invite all of those who have, have served or are currently serving in our military, would you please stand uh, this morning so that we can acknowledge you and thank you for your service? Don't be shy. Please stand up. Thank you, guys. This, this is a, a product and a result here this morning that we're gathered to worship freely. Uh, we have no fear that anybody's going to come in here and stop this worship gathering, and it's because of uh, the many uh, men and women who have served our, our country and have secured these freedoms for us, and so we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, and so with that now, as we uh, look to the Word of God, would you look along with me again to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. God's Word says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain." And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Hear this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy, this is very important here, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, but false prophets arose among the people. So it's like a reflecting back that this will now happen again, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them... The way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This is the word of the Lord. It's kind of a, a heavier passage this morning as we, we see this comparison and transition from a focus of, of the coming, the second coming of Christ, and the false teaching that was going on uh, within the church at this time and still persists till this day, uh, this passage of Scripture is still incredibly relevant uh, to us here in modern times. Uh, and I'm, I just want to say clearly, the answer to false teaching is always truth, okay? And so we're going to get a dose of scriptural truth this morning, and I hope it, it excites you to look towards uh, that, that dawning, that, that coming time when Jesus will return uh, to 
consummate and finish the work that he has started. Uh, the world cries out against the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is this. It's, it's the forgiveness of sins found only in the perfect life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the enemy fills the hearts of men with, with lies and deception, veiling his eyes from the glorious truths of, of the ultimate restoration of God's beautiful creation. The cross and resurrection remind us that a sure victory has been secured. Faith in Jesus upholds us. My prayer for you, it upholds us in the face of, of dark times and the counterfeit claims of the world system that surrounds and presses in on us. But the world cries out in denial of the finished work of Jesus. It screams these lies about Christ. He was just a good teacher, but not the Son of God. Moreover, a man-centered false religion testifies that we need to do a little bit more, a little more work, a little more rule following, and then we'll be right with God. Legalism denies the finished work of Jesus by adding a little more and a little more. And finally, within our culture, we see this movement, blatant denial of God and His Son, moves many to surrender to uh, the sins of the flesh, right? We hear this kind of phrase echo around, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Everything just meaningless. Live your supposed best life now in submission to the desires of the flesh. We see this in the, in the attitudes of lust and licentiousness within our culture, uh, and that dominates our country. And this all may seem like a hopeless beginning, right? We use this phrase, and we see this phrase in Scripture, but God, but God. God has indeed ushered in the first fruits of redemption and the ultimate restoration of his creation. His kingdom is present in the hearts and spirit of his redeemed people and is made known outwardly through the ministry of the local church. Hear this truth. Our king does reign from on high. And he is coming back to fully establish heaven on earth, which brings us to our main idea. This is kind of the resounding main idea that we see in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is coming back. The statement gets into the context of our passage. Why, why is Peter so passionately proclaiming, as he says here, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus because this is what's going on. False teachers were influencing the early church that he wasn't coming back. That it was just done. This is, where, this is the way it is, and you just have to live with it, so you might as well feed the desires of the flesh. There's no transformed living. There's no hope, because this is all that there is. But the, the Word of God clearly reveals this truth which is, uh, we're going to talk about eyewitness testimony. It's eyewitness testimony of historical events. We'll go back to Acts chapter 1, uh, the latter part of verse 11. What has gone on here is that Jesus has commissioned his disciples, and he's ascended to heaven. And what's going on right at this moment is the disciples are kind of gazing up into heaven and figuring out what's going to happen next. And it says this, uh, the Bible says this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, here's a promise that we have. 
will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We're going to talk a lot this morning about Jesus coming back. Jesus is coming back. In 2 Peter, we understand the collision of this, of, of different worldviews, and the effect of this collision on the life of the believer, on the life of the Christian, and this is relevant to us. Also, we see this collision of those who claim Christ but deny core truths that are crucial to salvation and right living. Those are the false teachers that are infiltrating the church. And, all, and finally, we'll see that the influence or collision of, of worldly passions and desires. That's what these false teachers were saying. Jesus isn't coming back, so just do whatever you want, basically. As Christians, though, we have this. We have confidence that Jesus has secured a sure victory. He said simply this. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Nothing to add to it. And at that point, he gave up his spirit. He paid the due price for our sin. And then he... he, conveyed this victory over darkness, sin, and death when he arose from the grave three days later and when he ultimately ascended to heaven. And this tension of, of this victory is evident in our everyday lives where we are, are certain that we have been born again of the Spirit of God but still struggle with uh, the flesh, with sin, don't we? We know that we're born again, but I still struggle with falling short. We know that we've been brought into his kingdom, but we still feel or we still see the negative effects of sin and and the world system on our lives. We do see the positive influence of the Christian church on the world through the preaching of the gospel and the tangible acts of service and love that come about through the local church. But we also see evidence of the flesh winning in the hearts of men and women within the church. Just turn on the news and you'll see probably another scandal of a leader that fell short. It's a tension that that I'll call, and that many uh, scholars and theologians will call, the already but not yet, okay? The already but not yet of the kingdom of God. Jesus is already victorious, but he is yet to bring this victory to full completion, which will occur upon his glorious second coming. That's why we look forward to that day when he returns, And so, where are we at in this present time? We live our lives uh, in exile, in a sense, in a place that God declared. He declared his creation uh, when, at the beginning of time, he, he declared it what? Very good. But this very good creation is still marred by the sin of humanity. The creation is is a place that God has promised to fully restore not to, not to just its former glory, but to a greater glory described in Revelation 21 and 22. It, uh, this comes to mind, just to kind of illustrate the point, uh, I played high school football. My senior year, our team was pretty good, and, and we were playing against a team, Barstow High School. You probably don't know where Barstow is. It's back home. Barstow is not a nice area. Okay, Barstow was about the halfway point between Los Angeles and Las Vegas off of Interstate 15, and everybody would stop in Barstow to use the restroom and grab a bite to eat real quick. And it was also a main hub for the railroad there. So it was just kind of a tough area, really uh, drastic up and down uh, economic 
issues there, a lot of poor people, just, just an area that was tough. It was tough to live in Barstow. And so we were playing Barstow High School. Barstow was about 45 minutes from my hometown, and uh, they, were, they were just a tough team to play. And we beat Barstow my senior year. It was awesome. We beat them on their home field. And I remember we're getting ready. You always lined up at the end of the game, and you shook hands, okay? And I remember our coach start yelling at us to keep your helmets on and run to the bus. <laughs> Because uh, their student section and maybe even some of their players had begun to pick up rocks and throw them at us. And so we ran to the bus. So we won the game, right? But we needed to get on the bus and hightail home. We couldn't celebrate or feel the full effects of the victory that was secured on that field until when? Until we got back home and kind of breathed a sigh of relief. It's the same way with the kingdom of God. We know that Jesus has secured the victory, but for this time in this place, we're not seeing the full effects of that. We don't get to celebrate that full victory until we are in his presence, until he comes back and establishes heaven on earth. It's already, but not yet. And so we're going to look at, we're going to draw three points of truth out of this section here. Our first point is this. The return of Jesus is supported by eyewitnesses. We see right in here, in this first section of scripture, you have eyewitness accounts. And these eyewitnesses are the apostles that were with Jesus during, during his, his earthly ministry. If you notice in that section, he keeps saying, we, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our, right? We over and over. Who is this we? It is none other than the disciples the, that walked with Jesus on the earth. They were taught by him and, uh, Peter, James, and John in particular were the closest of the disciples to Jesus, and they, had, they got to see this amazing thing called the transfiguration. And that's what Peter's referring to this morning. But I want to pause. I want to take you through an exercise. I want this to be personal to you. As I was reading uh, some commentary preparing for Second Peter a few weeks ago, I was reading from uh, an author and pastor who has now passed on. His name's R.C. Sproul. I love reading Sproul's readings. And he, he gave this awesome example of taking, sometimes we just passively read the word of God. We're not taking it as something written to us. And he gave this great exercise that he came across uh, when a friend of his came to the Lord. And what happened is this, this was a man, he, he was in business, uh, kind of well-to-do guy, had a secretary. And when he came to know Christ, he, he asked his secretary to go through the, the New Testament letters and handwrite them with, with them being addressed to him. So say his name is John, you know, dear John, and then he would have her write out the whole letter, put it in an envelope and mail it to him. And he would go out in the mailbox and open that up and read it. And it's, I mean, can you imagine the, but it, that's the truth. God has given this to us. Not just for one specific period of time, but for all of time. The Bible's relevant for every age and generation. This passage is so relevant to us right here and right now. And so hear Peter saying, Dear North Bullet Christian Church, hear these words. I'm going to back up a verse into 15 because I think it helps transition into verse 16. He says this, 
This is Peter under the inspiration of the Spirit. Dear North Bullet Christian Church, right? And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time recall these things. Remember, remember what I'm telling you. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, right? We didn't, we didn't make this stuff up. This isn't just some fairy tale. We've seen it with our own eyes. When we made known to you, this is important, this, this little statement here. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word used there for coming is, is this idea of arrival, that Jesus will arrive with us. He says, but, now this is Peter, that, that transition statement there is Peter's now recalling from his memory this amazing moment where he saw Jesus transfigured, glorified right in front of him. He says, but we, now who's the we? The we is Peter, James, and John that were with Jesus on that mountain. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw with our own two eyes. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, now they didn't only see it with their two eyes, but they heard the they heard God speaking. Isn't that amazing? And what did God say? Jesus on this mountain, and he says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Peter says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. This is awesome because a lot of times when, when we're asking people to place their faith and trust, their confidence in the promises of Scripture, we always rest on the power of Jesus being resurrected. That's the truth that we go to, which we should. But Peter here says, I got something else for you too. I've seen Jesus in glory on the mountain. Peter's utilizing the importance of the transfiguration of Jesus as, as affirmation of the future promises of Christ. Peter's already witnessed Jesus transfigured in glory before his eyes and assures believers to wait upon the not yet completion of the restorative work of Jesus upon his creation. The false teachers, and I would add to this also, the, the world system, deny this power and majesty of Jesus. And, and they attempt to do this. They want, they want to pull the church away from, from her mission to seek and save the lost and to live a life in obedience to the Word of God. And, and so the question simply comes to this. like These false teachers, the, the world system that surrounds us, they were not eyewitnesses to Jesus transfigured on that holy mountain. Peter was. And he wrote this to us under the inspiration of the Spirit. Dear North Bullet Christian Church, I've seen Jesus transfigured on the holy mountain. Listen to these words. The question, are you going to believe a first-hand witness like Peter and John and James or the naysayers? Peter believed. Here, here's another thing that we need to think of. The reality that Peter 
believed so strongly in what he witnessed with his two eyes and what he heard with his two ears that he willingly laid down his life for the mission of Christ. He died. Not in the same manner as Jesus, but he was crucified upside down. He believed so strongly that he was willing to endure suffering and pain for the truths of Scripture. I'm going to believe. I don't know about you, but I'm going to believe that guy and what he has to say. The letter that he's written to us. Let's look at the passage, though. Peter's talking about the transfiguration. We, we see it in Matthew 17. Uh, the account of the transfiguration is also found in, in two other Gospels, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. But I want to give you some context because I think it helps us a little bit to see what Peter's getting at by referring to the transfiguration. This is what's happened in Matthew, leading up to Matthew 17. Jesus has at this point, right before this, he's, he's foretold of his death and resurrection. And Peter doesn't just take that kind of lying down. He, he pushes back against Jesus and basically says, why, like, why do we have to do this? Why does it have to go that? Jesus, knock it off. Stop, t- stop talking about how you're going to die. To which Jesus then responds to Peter and he says this. He says, get behind me, Satan. So he rebukes Peter. And then, so that happens. The next section of Scripture, Jesus calls the disciples... To, to take up, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Then he says this statement in that passage. This promise, I would say. He says, the Son of Man is going to come. So, death, resurrection. Then he says, the Son of Man is going to come with angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has Done. Jesus is coming back. Again, after death and resurrection, I'm coming back. And so this is where we pick up in the transfiguration account. You see the, the importance of it. Matthew 17, 1-2. It says, and after six days, Jesus took with him, here, here they are, the eyewitnesses, Peter and James and John, his brother. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? It says his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. The glory of God shining on this mountain. Who are you going to believe? Peter, James, and John, eyewitnesses to the transfiguration of Jesus, or the false teachers who were not even there? Who are you going to believe? Point number two, the return of Jesus is supported by the Word of God, by the Bible. It says this in uh, verses 19 to 21. And we have the prophetic word, I love this, more fully confirmed. How can Peter say that it's more fully confirmed? Again, he's an eyewitness, right? He, he walked with Jesus. He witnessed Jesus transfigured. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He was there when Jesus died. And he was put in the grave. And they were weeping and grieving because they're like, man, this plan is just not seeming to come together. I thought this was the conquering king who was going to set up the throne of David. And as they were grieving, Peter was also an eyewitness to this. The resurrected Jesus. 
Peter was also there when Jesus was taken up into heaven. Peter was also there when the Spirit of God filled those early followers of Jesus and he went out and he proclaimed the gospel and he was there when thousands were saved because the Spirit of God moved. That's why he can say we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's seen it with his own two eyes. He's heard it with his two ears, to which you will do well to pay attention as here, here it is. This is what the Bible is to us as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You have a a flashlight that can light everything up that can light up the darkness. The scriptures are a light shining in the darkness, pointing to the pathway ahead. He says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises, another way of referencing Jesus's uh, second coming It says, in your own hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Back in, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 18, there's some references in there as to what a true prophet is and what a false prophet is. A true prophet simply is this, what they say comes to pass. It says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Here we go. This is, this is like a, This is a home run, grand slam, whatever you want to call it. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This isn't family, just a letter written to you. It's a letter from God to you. We we have here before us a trustworthy source of information. The the Holy Bible was affirmed by, by early believers to be the Word of God. And there's no doubt, the, the Word of God at that time was, was the Old Testament. There's no doubt they believed the Old Testament was inspired by God. And this is proven in the prophecy of the Old Testament coming to pass in the advent of Jesus. It's alluded and quoted all throughout the New Testament writings. You'll see the Old Testament clearly quoted and then kind of in types and shadows. So you're like, man, that seems like something from the Old Testament that I've read. And now... The New Testament was held as scriptural from the onset of its circulation throughout the church. Peter, in in this letter, later will regard Paul's writings as as holy scripture, as the Bible, as authoritative. And these spirit-inspired letters and historical accounts are written to the church. You and me, they attest to this, the second coming of Jesus. Moreover, they, they prove that Jesus has done this, that he's fulfilled Scripture already. How can we know prophecy is true if it comes to pass? And we can be confident that he will consummate his kingdom at his return. Looking again to the, the transfiguration account in Matthew 17, we'll look at verses 3 to 8. There's a couple more people that are going to come into this account now. It says, and behold, so he's transfigured at this point. Then it says, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, I love this. Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make some tents, right? Let me throw up some tents and let's, let's hang out here for a little bit. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said again, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And he says this, Listen to Him. 
When the disciples heard this, like, can you imagine hearing the voice of God? They fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus, I love this. You see the compassion, like the gentle, the lowliness of Jesus. But Jesus came, touched them, saying this, rise, have no fear. Man, that just hit me right there. Church, did you hear what Jesus said? Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but who? Jesus only. I can't go through a full exposition of this transfiguration text, but I can tell you some Cliff's notes real quick, right? A little quick summary. Why were Moses and Elijah present? Because Jesus is showing us at that moment that he is the fulfillment of this, of the law represented by Moses being there and the prophets represented by Elijah being there. They, they were representative of Holy Scripture. It stands to reason, along with Jesus' own claims of his imminent return, that, that he is the one who will bring about new heavens and new earth. The prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus, right? It's been confirmed in him in his life, and there's, there's even more to come. It only gets better. He is the one that will bring about, as Scripture says, new heavens and new earth. He ushers in the kingdom consummated. And so what, what we possess now as Christians through spiritual rebirth is just a foretaste of what is to come upon His glorious return. We can hear His words now as we build in confidence, right? Rise, have no fear. And this is why, simply put, that everything matters in the here and now. Don't become Christian. I want to charge you this morning through Scripture, don't become complacent in the world. Don't become cynical about what's going on around you. Rise and have no fear. Hold fast to the truth of God's Word and be assured of His promises. It's said here, they are more fully confirmed. And so we come to this question, why, why does this matter to me now? Why does this matter to me now? Because, now the last section of this is, is a warning. Chapter 2 is a warning. Because the return of Jesus supports the judgment of God. It's our last point. The return of Jesus supports the judgment of God. And this, is, this is the charge of just two words. Like, get right. Get right with the Lord. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, uh, this next time he comes, he's coming in judgment. says this this is uh peter's issuing a, a corrective statement it says but or, or and a warning correction and warning but false prophets also arose among the people he's saying basically hey look look to the past look what happened to the people of god when false prophets rose up and distracted them uh, from the calling that god had placed on their life and pulled them away from a life of holiness 
He says, just as there will be false teachers among you, that's the warning, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Isn't it always sneaky? It's always sneaky. I mean, we're reminded of the serpent sneaking around in the Garden of Eden. It's always sneaky. It says, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, right? The judgment of God. And unfortunately, it says this, and many will follow. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, right? They're going to tickle your ears. They're going to tell you what you want to hear because they want your money. Then it says here, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. This is a heavy section here. Speaking of the judgment of God, I know we want to pass over these sections of Scripture, but we have to wrestle with what's going on here. As we see it, I'm going to, we're going to look at this on, on two different fronts here. We see the, this warning against false teachers in the church. Okay, This is still relevant to us. We, we've seen a movement in, in the church in America of what's called a so-called like progressive church, which basically denies the authority of God's Word. It says it's not really inspired by God. It's just kind of good, good stuff to take away and follow. That's a lie. And because of that, that teaching in this so-called progressive church, it leads people to, to live lives of what Peter says here, of sensuality and licentiousness and, and walking, continuing to walk in a life of sin. We see this also in, in like, uh, probably the 1800s, there was a, a movement in in uh, scholarly Christianity and theologians that began to question the, the miracles of Scripture. And what, what occurred is, we've seen the results of this in what I define as mainline Protestantism. Okay? Mainline Protestantism, by and large, has, has, is beginning to deny Scripture and the teachings of Scripture. I'm not saying the whole thing is bad. What I'm saying is there's large segments. We've seen that play out in recent times with, I'll just say it, with the Methodist church, with with massive splits going on. And some of you are like, why are we talking about this? We have to talk about these things. We have to address it. We've seen it happen in in the Episcopal church and the Presbyterian church among some of the Baptist movements and even within the Christian church. Not everyone, but many. False teachers creeping in and they, and they question this thing and this thing. And then pretty soon, the whole building's being deconstructed and rebuilt into something that's not even the gospel anymore. We see it also in our culture, the false teachers in our culture that woo and try to pull us away. They, they speak lies like, uh, you know, follow your heart. Trust your feelings. Your experience is greater than the authority of Scripture. And it's sad. And we have to 
We have to grow in knowledge of what's going on around us. We have to wrestle through these things so that we can, as a church, respond, that we can invest, we can love people right where they're at, and we can help free them from the bonds of slavery to their sin. We've, see, we've seen examples of this in, in our culture. We, we've seen the progression. We had, you know, in the 60s, you had a, a sexual revolution, they called it. which only exasperated the, the abortion issue. And then now in present time, issues with, with pornography and the, the emergence of, of the LGBTQ movement and premarital sexual relations and hookup culture. All these things building upon building upon building. And you're sitting there, you're like, you know, it's getting hot in here. This is really uncomfortable. We have to talk about it. We have to address it. We see it in, in the culture wooing us away with, with greed and, and desire for stuff, personal envy, and then also we see it play out in, in corporations, in corporate greed. We see it uh, in, in defaming or putting down the fact that every single human being has been made in the image of God. We see it play out in racism and again in, in the abortion issue that some people are just not worthy of full rights as human beings and that's wrong. We've seen it play out in our, in our country with racism and enslavement and denial of basic human rights and dignity. Each and every human being is an image bearer of the Creator God. Again, we can pull back and we can close the door and we can just huddle together or we can explode out in mission proclaiming the truths of Scripture. We can be exhorted, uh, like, like Paul tells us in Romans 13, 11 to 14, this passage is awesome. It says this, the Bible says this. I hope you're encouraged by this. It says, besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Church of God, wake up! For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Okay, this was written like 2,000 years ago. How much closer? The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then... Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. We need to hear that in the church. But what do we do? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a truth. You, through faith in Christ, you have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's amazing. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What are our takeaways from this? Simply put, I want to proclaim this gospel truth to you. Jesus declared this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Belief in Jesus 
let's not lose sight of the fact that Jesus lived perfectly in our place. He lived for us. He died for us. He raised from the grave. Believe in Him. Christian, don't become complacent. Don't let the false narratives of culture and false teaching dissuade you from the truth of Scripture. And this, when, this is where every once in a while we've got we to gotta take our, our eyes off of the now and look up towards the not yet, towards that coming, that glorious coming of Jesus. The glorious truth of Christ's second advent, His second coming, this word comes to mind, anticipate. Anticipate. Jesus lived, died, rose, ascended. Church, He's coming back. It brings us to this simple question. There's no other question we can ask. Are you ready? Are you ready for the second coming of Christ? I want to share those words with you one more time. Jesus said, when his disciples fell flat on their face, when they were confronted with the voice of God and the holiness of God, the majesty of God, Jesus touched them. Hear this. Everyone, right where you're at, Jesus said this, rise and have no fear. Amen.